We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. It's an amazing time to be in 1 Corinthians, and specifically because we're ending now the epistle of the first letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth before we go into the second half or to 2 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians 15 is so heavy because it talks about now the central core of Christianity. Paul comes now and he's giving evidence for the risen Christ. Paul comes now, he's giving evidence now that Christ did in fact rise from the dead, that this did happen. Because now you know that the, the, in the Greek culture, in, in Corinth now, you have all these teachings that are being taking place and some that are being taught that Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead. Well, Paul comes here after talking about the gifts after talking about unity, after talking about love, to talk about the evidence of the resurrection. We can have Easter in July now. <laughs> and as we see that taking place, is that we understand why is the resurrection so important. I'll tell you this, the cross without the resurrection is not the gospel. The cross without the resurrection is not the gospel. We need the resurrection. Because the cross talks about love. The cross talks about forgiveness. The cross talks about now mercy. And we go to the cross and we see death to self at the cross. But at the tomb, at the resurrection, we see new life. At the resurrection, we see victory. At the resurrection, we see that there is a new way of life because of it. C.S. Lewis said, Jesus forced open a door that had been shut for all eternity. Jesus had forced open a door that was shut for all eternity when he walked out of that tomb. You know what door he forced open that day? The door that we were in bondage to sin. The door of death. The door of defeat. Jesus had now victory over that. And because of that, the resurrection is so important to us. Did you know that without the resurrection, uh, there would be no church? Because the birth of the church, the growth of the church, is based off one central evidence. It's based off one core now theme, is that Christ rose from the dead. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, we'd be wasting our time today. And Paul is going to talk about that later on in chapter 15. That if Christ did not rise from the dead, we'd still be living in sin. We'd still be on our way to hell. You see how important the resurrection is to you now? That now you can have a new life because of the resurrection. Now God it, it has given you hope for tomorrow. Now your future is secure because of the resurrection. It's so important in the Christian faith. It is the core that Jesus rose again. You have a lot of religions and faiths and beliefs of different groups of leaders. Where there now leader had a huge falling but he died and never rose again. Now here Paul talks about how the resurrection is important. And he's going to tell us the importance, the evidence, and the effects of the resurrection. Why is the resurrection so important to you? Why should it be so important to you today, 2019? Well, what are the evidences of the resurrection? Did this actually take place? Was this an actual time in history, in uh, time that we read about in the Bible? What are the effects of the resurrection? Know this, that... Our faith is not just based off of feelings. 
Our, our faith is based on evidence. Our faith is based on facts that lead us to action to put our faith in Christ, to put our trust in Him. It's based off of historical, actual facts that took place. You know, there's five reasons as an introduction that I'm going to give you on why the resurrection matters. Five reasons why it matters to you today. Why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? Number one, the resurrection matters because God's divinity is proven in the resurrection. What does that mean? God's divinity is proven or the divinity of Christ is proven in the resurrection is that Jesus was either God who He said He was or He was a liar based off of the resurrection. And but the resurrection proves that He was who He said He was. Do you understand that if He did not resurrect, His entire ministry would have been without power and in vain? But because of the resurrection, we know for certain that Jesus was who He said He was. In Romans 1.4 it says, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He proved it. He said, By the resurrection from the dead, I am proving that I am who I say I am. You see, if you did not have the resurrection, we could not trust that Jesus was who He said He was. Number two, the resurrection matters because of the Lordship of Jesus Christ depends on the resurrection. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead now proves that He is the Lord and the Master of our lives. And He bases it off the resurrection. Now Romans 14.9 tells us this, For to this end Christ died, look what it says, and He rose and lived again that He might be Lord of both the dead and the living. That He might be the, the, now the Lord of the dead and the living. Why? Because He rose again. So not only is His divinity depends on the resurrection, that He was who He said He was, not only the fact that He is our Lord and Master is based on the resurrection, but also our personal forgiveness is found on the resurrection. Number three. Your personal justification, the fact that you are forgiven, you can stand, you can be sure, I am forgiven, not only because Jesus went to the cross, but I'm justified, I'm forgiven, I am right before God because Jesus rose from the dead. And if He didn't rise from the dead, you would not be forgiven. You would not be just before God. You would not be right before God. Do you understand that we would be a group of people today here? that would not be right before God if Jesus did not rise from the dead. In fact, we would be going to hell. But your personal justification is based on the resurrection. Romans 4.25 Paul says, Who was delivered up because of our offenses to die, and He was raised because of our justification. He was raised because of our justification. You see, we are today here as a church, as a body of believers, we come together and we call ourselves Christians and disciples. And we know for certain that we are forgiven because Jesus rose from the dead. Now number four, our personal salvation rests on the resurrection. Now not only are we forgiven, but we're saved for eternity. Now, how do we know that? The Bible tells us in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, Jesus rose from the dead, and if you believe that, then you will be saved. See, these are evidences on why the resurrection matters to you and to me. 
And fifthly, our resurrection is based, the resurre- our own resurrection is based on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible tells us this in Romans 8, 11, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through whom his spirit dwells in you. Do you know that you have life in you? That God is going to raise up your mortal body that on that day when the graves are open as Revelation talks about it. And He's going to give life to those bodies, right? It's because of the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me and in you. You understand that you walk around and you live with the power that raised Jesus from the dead. What, What kind of hope does that give us? That it gives us the hope that we can live a new life. That's exactly why we do baptisms, because we are publicly saying, I'm living this new life. I'm living a new life in victory now. I'm living a new life in power. Sin does not have power over me. Death doesn't have power over me. That anger, that vice, that habit, that, that lifestyle does not have power over me, because Jesus went to the cross. He was victorious over depression. He was victorious over stress. He was victorious over anxiety. He was victorious over death and discouragement. And now I can live in victory. Because Jesus rose from the dead, my future is secure and we can see tomorrow. Isn't that amazing, that promise that we have in the tomb and in the grave? And now he's going to teach them that that doctrine of resurrection. Why is that so important? Because that's the core of why you believe what you believe. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, would this, any of this matter? Absolutely not. But now he's telling us, this is the core of why we believe. Because he rose from the dead. And that's amazing. And just to remember that, that he is on the throne, that he's in control, that he rose from the dead. And I believe in the word of God because he rose from the dead. Now, chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, he tells us, which you also receive and in which you stand. It's important to know that the gospel is not only for the non-believer, but the gospel is for the believer, 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel is also for the believer because it takes us to the cross. The gospel is a believer because, for the believer as well because it, it allows us and it gives us the opportunity to repent. It's the good news. And he tells us here now, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also hear or which you receive. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you because in, the, in a world of bad news, we can have good news. We can have hope. And maybe today we've come in with a heavy heart of bad news, of depression, of discouragement, of anxiety, or maybe burdens that are just weighing us down, Lord. We thank you that because of the resurrection, we have hope, Lord. We know that we can live in victory. We know that we can trust you because you are who you said you were, Lord. Because you are the Lord of our lives, because you've given us salvation, because we are right with God because of you, Christ. And we thank you, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Together we said, Amen. Amen. Now it says in verse 1 that, I declare to you, what is he declaring? He's declaring something that he already preached. He's giving them a message that he's already given them before. 
Why is he doing that? Why is he preaching to them a message that he already preached to them before? Because he wants to remind them. You see, it's important that we be reminded of the good news. And sometimes we think, well, the gospel is something that I learned when I came to faith. No, it's something that you need to be reminded. It's something that you need to stand on. It's something that you need to live by. That you need to embrace the cross, the forgiveness, the victory in the resurrection. And here Paul is saying, I come to you and I declare and I preach to you. What is he doing? The gospel that you already received. Number one, you see one of the first important statuses of the, the church in Corinth is that they were a church that received the gospel. The most important thing in your life and the only thing that will really matter in your life is whether or not you receive the gospel. The most important thing in life that is going to matter is whether or not you receive the gospel. And the word receive means to welcome. Welcome the gospel. Not only welcome, the word receive also has a deeper meaning here, which means receive or welcome now with the intention of obeying. I want to remind you that you receive, that you welcome the gospel with the intention of obeying it. Today, would you receive the gospel, the word of God with the intention of obeying it? Would you welcome it into your life with the intention of obeying it? Because the gospel is the good news, the best news that they had ever heard. He is reminding them, number one, you received it with the intention of obeying it. Now it goes on and it says, in which you stand. Not only did you receive it, but you are standing on the gospel. Do you know that in life we're going to have troubles and tribulations that, that maybe are going to knock us down a few or different times in life? But when we remember that we are standing on the good news, not only have we received it to obey it, but we are established, we're standing, we are firm-footed on the gospel. Our faith is in the gospel in which you stand. He's telling us now in verse 1, because of it you receive the good news, because of it you are standing on that good news. And in verse 2 it says, by which you are also, by which also you are saved. Isn't this amazing? The first three points that he's giving us here. Number one, you received it. Number one, you are standing in it. And number three, you are saved by it if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now you are established, you are standing firm. You have faith in the gospel as you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. When you found out that you were a sinner, that you were headed to hell without Jesus Christ, and you said, Lord, forgive me, I repent of my sins. Not only do I regret my sins, I also repent from them. And I want, you, I want to pause there and tell you that. It's so important that when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that we're not only filled with regret, we also repent. Because regret is not enough. Regret does not give you a position to be saved before God. Regret does not do that to you. But repentance does. That's saying, you know what, not only do I regret that, I'm going to turn away from that and walk a different direction. I'm not just going to be filled with regret. I want to be filled with repentance because repentance leads me back to the cross. Now he's saying you are standing on it. You are saved if. 
And I love that word if, because a lot of times we think that we're saved just because we heard the gospel. That doesn't make you saved. We, we think that we're standing on the gospel because one day we said, Jesus, come into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. But no, he's saying, if you are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, why is he saying, if you hold fast, you're saved? Well, because me and you, we're saved if we embrace, if we hold fast, if we protect, if we continue in the faith that we once heard and that we believe. You see, that's how you are saved if you hold fast. A lot of times we think that it's okay to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but not have to hold fast. Not have to live by faith, not to live in faith, not have to live by the gospel. And we maybe start well, but we don't finish well. Now he's encouraging them. I don't want you to only start in the gospel. I want you to continue in the gospel. I want you to live by the gospel. I want you to, your, the gospel to be a way of life for you. That your faith would be in Jesus Christ. And he's saying you are saved if you hold fast to that word. Today church, may we hold fast to the word. May we hold fast to the word. May we protect the gospel in our lives. May we continue in the gospel in our lives. May the gospel not just be a, a theory or, or it would not be something that we talk about or something that we think about, but that may the gospel be something that changes our lives. Unless you believed in vain. What does it mean, unless you believed in vain? That's amazing when you start to read that, unless you believed in vain. He's saying here, unless the gospel, you just heard it, and you believed for a moment, but there was never really fruit. You believed, and it was a worthless type of faith. See, vain means it has no purpose. Vains mean it has no effect. Vains mean it has no fruit. Did you believe with no fruit? Then you're not saved that way. Did you believe with no faith that led you to action? Then it really didn't matter. Did you not hold fast so it was just in vain? I pray that today it would not be in vain. It would not be in vain that we would abide. You know what hold fast means? It means to abide. It means to abide, to be connected to the Lord. That we, our faith would not be in vain, that we would produce fruit. In John 15 verse 4 it says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. God here, through Christ the Son, is calling you and me to stay connected to the root, the vine, which is Christ. That's why he's saying, hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to Christ. Do not depart to Christ. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You know when the Lord starts to answer your prayers, when the Lord wants to be able to become real in your life, when you start to see fruit, when you are connected to Jesus. Are you connected to Jesus today? Are you connected to Jesus today? That's what it means to hold fast. To be connected to Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but if I'm not connected in Jesus, what is that kind of faith worth? It's worth nothing. Your faith is not worth much if you're not connected to Jesus, because only then you will be producing fruit. And I'll tell you this, you can't say you received the gospel if it never changed your life. You cannot say you received the gospel if it never changed your life. 
Well, I received the gospel. I welcomed it with the intention of obeying. Did it change your life? You did not receive it if it didn't change your life. I like that famous hymn, an old hymn that says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I'll read it to you again. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Did the gospel change your life? Is there a change in your life? Did you receive it with the intention of obeying it? Now in verse 3 it says, For I delivered to you first of all. And I want you to underline first of all. You know why first of all is so important? Because he came with a message and first of all he gave it a priority. What was most important to declare to the church. Why? Because the gospel was important to him. It is time for what's important to God to become important to us. Is the gospel important to you today? How important is the gospel to you? Because he's saying here, I delivered first, before I delivered anything to you, first of all, I gave a priority. I, this is the first thing on my list. It's the gospel. When you look at your list, what is number one on your list today? Maybe this week as you're prepping, maybe the day after church, a long week, you're opening up your planet, you're opening up your agenda, and you're starting to schedule things and fill different slots and appointments and confirming things that you want to do. Where is the gospel in that agenda? Where is the gospel when it comes to your planner? Because when it came to the planner of Paul here, we see that he delivered, first of all, before anything, on the planner. On the agenda is the gospel. And he's saying, I delivered what was most important. What was most important for them? Which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What did he deliver? That which he received. I, I, I think it's awesome that he did not deliver something that he did not receive. And the only way that he can deliver something is if he first received it from God. You cannot take anyone to a place that you've never been. You cannot share with them something that you've never been taught. You cannot deliver them something that God never spoke to you about. You see that Paul received the gospel. It wasn't from himself. And he now delivered it over to the church in Corinth. You can't deliver something you haven't received. And he received it from the Lord. He heard from Jesus Christ. He had a personal encounter. And he's going to share. And then he delivered it. That which I received... I then deliver that which you receive today, a live Christian fellowship. You're called to then go and deliver. What is it? The gospel, the good news. What was the gospel? It's very simple that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Isn't it amazing how simple the gospel is? Have you ever tried to maybe explain the gospel and you say, well, man, it's, maybe I overcomplicated it a little bit here when I'm sharing it. Now, the gospel is very simple. The gospel is in verse 3. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Why did Jesus die? Sometimes we think, well, Jesus died for the world. And, and I'm just a part of that group. Or Jesus died for the sins of everyone. No, you have to make it very personal. That Jesus died for my sin. I've heard it said very recently. And it was such an, an incredible reminder that if you were the only one that Jesus had to die for it, he still would have died for you because he loves you that much. Do you understand that? That he died for your personal sins. He died for your sins. Just as the scriptures said it, according 
to the Scriptures. The New Living Translation says this in verse 3, I passed on that which was most important. I gave it the importance and that which has been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins just as the Scriptures said. What did the Scriptures say that Jesus was going to die for our sins? It said it through prophecy. Jesus would die for our sins. That was the purpose of Him dying. The purpose of Him dying wasn't to prove that He was King. That was already established before eternity's passed. The purpose of Jesus was dying was for your sins and for my sins. In Isaiah 53 verse 5 it says, But He's wounded, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Think about this, it's all to do with us. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we were healed. What kind of healing? Not only talking about a physical healing, he's talking about a spiritual healing here, the prophet Isaiah. All like sheep, we were gone astray. We were all going now the wrong direction. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why did Jesus die? Verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15. He died for your sins. He died for your sins. Take it very personal. He died for my sins. Right? And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, later on, he goes on, he tells the church, For he made him who knew no sin, he made Jesus who didn't know sin, who was holy, who was perfect, that he might be sin. That sin would be in him. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he traded places with us and he said, You know what, let me take all the sin and let me carry the punishment of that sin. And you can be right with the Father now because I took your punishment. When it, here it says that Jesus died for our sins, it's saying that He took our punishment. He's dying for the penalty of our sin. Verse 4, and that He was buried and that He rose again. This is the beautiful, the gospel in two verses. That He died for your sin and He was buried and He rose again, which day on the third day according to the Scriptures. The scriptures also said that he would die. And the scriptures also said that in three days he would rise again. Isn't it amazing that Jesus always told his disciples in three days, I'm going to rise again. In fact, the psalmist David, as he was writing these songs and hearing from God in Psalm 16 verse 10, he prophetically sings this song and he says this, For you will not let my soul, my, leave my soul in Sheol. Nor will you allow the Holy One to see corruption. What is that saying? You're not going to let Jesus stay in the tomb and in the grave. You will not let Him see that. You will not let Him stay that. That is giving us the promise from the Old Testament, from the psalmist, that Jesus would rise from the dead. Now from verse 5 to verse 7, not only does it talk about how prophetically first, how scripturally first, the gospel is supported in the Bible, but it also is going to talk to us between verses 5 and 7 how there is evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Know that there is a man in the history, through the historians, if you study the Jewish culture and history, ancient history, you know that there was in fact a man that was born and his name was Jesus. That it is undeniable, that is irrefutable. He was alive. But there also is eyewitness accounts, numerous eyewitness accounts that they said we saw Jesus before the tomb and we saw Jesus on the cross we saw him dead and then we saw him after he was alive we're not kidding we saw him it was an eyewitness account of evidence accounts that they saw Jesus face to face we saw him 
It's not a made up story. It's not a theory. They're, they're not hallucinating. They saw him. Have you ever been in witness now? An accident or, or something that, that, that may, may, may have happened in, 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 the, in the time of history in which you have lived. And you say, you know what? I lived for that time. We look at natural disasters. We look at very unfortunate events in our history and say, you know what? That really happened. I lived in that time. I lived in that time. That happened. Well, we see an account here from verse 5 to 7 of eyewitness evidences that they saw Jesus after now he had resurrected. Verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas or Peter and by the twelve. Did you remember that after the disciples were in, in a room, they were all hiding from now the council and the Jewish leaders? And the doors were shut. They were closed shut. They were locked. And it said that Jesus appeared in that very room. He was seen. Do you know that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you? That the, the reason for the resurrection is that He can be real to you today? The reason for the resurrection is so that Jesus can be real in your life today. So that He can show up even when the doors are shut. And you're saying, you know what? I see no more answers. I see no more hope. Jesus went right through those walls. He doesn't need those open doors. He went right through those walls. And He's saying, look at I am alive. Reach into my side. Look at my hands. Look at my feet, doubting Thomas. He appeared to Peter and to the twelve while the doors were being shut. Because of the resurrection, you can have hope. Now in verse 6, it tells us, After that, he was seen over by 500 brethren at once. Now you would say, you know what, Peter was just hallucinating. He was missing Jesus. You know, he didn't really see him. Maybe he saw something else. Maybe the twelve didn't really see him. Maybe they were just in an upper room and they thought they saw him because they felt his presence. So they didn't really see the body of Jesus. No, verse here, 6 now tells us that he was seen by 500 brethren at one time. You can't make that up. You can't, how, does, how is it that 500 people collectively come together and say, let's just make up that we saw him right now? There's no way. It was 500 people that said, we saw you. It was undeniable. We saw him, he's alive at once, of whom the greater part remained to be present, but some have fallen. The city says, some of them are still alive while he was writing this. Some of them have now died. A great part of those 500 are alive, those that saw him. They saw him alive. Now verse 7. After that, he was seen by James and by all the apostles. After that, he was seen by James, his own brother. His own brother saw Jesus. And by other, the apostles, by the leaders. These were actual, real, historical events that took place. He was seen at different times by different people. And I'll tell you this, 12 simple men, fishermen, could not turn the world upside down in the book of Acts if Jesus did not rise from the dead. There was no way that they would have done that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Your life would never change if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Not only that, think about this. Some people say, you know what, those disciples were crazy. He never really rose from the dead. They're just foolish. Well, I'll tell you this. If that wasn't true, why would they allow themselves to be martyred or to be killed or to die for the cause of something that was not true? If you knew something wasn't true, you were just making it up and they were saying, all right, you're about to die. Why was it that the majority of the disciples that walked with Jesus all died for the cause of Christ? Because they're saying, we're not going to say anything any otherwise. He was alive and we're willing to die for it. These are evidence. These are eyewitness, undeniable facts that Jesus was alive. In Acts 1, 3, as Luke is writing, this doctor is writing now, 
to us, for us to know and to read to Theophilus here. He's saying, to whom he pre- presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible or many undeniable proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What is it saying? The others saw him. It was undeniable. It was a proof. It was him and he was alive. Now verse 8, he says, then last of all, he was seen by me. <laughs> now Paul is saying, you know what? Peter saw him. The 12 saw him. 500 saw him. James saw him. The apostles saw him. Guess what? I also saw him. He's saying, I saw him. When did Paul see him? Well, Paul was on the road to Damascus, right? We know through Acts night that he saw Christ. And he said that it was like a light, right? That, that blinded him. That he saw and he heard a voice. But he saw the risen Savior. And as he saw Jesus, you know, and I think it's important that we read, when we, when we read that story, we almost think about that he just saw a light, he was blinded and he heard a voice. No, he saw Jesus. <laughs> he saw the resurrected Jesus during that time. And then he was blinded. And, and it talks about this. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. You know when he starts to talk about how he saw Jesus personally, how he had a personal encounter with Jesus, you know what he calls himself? As one that was born out of due time. That word out of due time is important. He's saying, I saw him, and I was one that was born out of due time. Out of due time saying, meaning I was as a premature little infant that was born. You look at a premature little infant, he can't sustain himself. He can't support himself. He needs the assistance now. I was as a premature little born infant that I did not have a life. I was unable to sustain myself and God came. I had no hope and God came and he showed me Jesus and now I have life. Wasn't that amazing? That without Jesus we are unable to sustain ourselves. But with Jesus we have life. You think about a, a beautiful little baby. And if he's born premature, what does he need? He needs the assistance, the support, the, the, you know, to be able to be sustained until he's well strong enough. Well, that's what we were, without strength, without being sustained. But Jesus came into our lives and what did he do? He gave, he gave us life. He gave us hope now. And now he's telling us from verses 9 to 11 that not only did he receive the gospel, but he responded to it. Are you, have you responded to the gospel? Now, verse 9, he tells us this. For I am the least. When he saw Jesus, he also had a correct interpretation of himself. I am the least. When you look at Jesus, it gives you a correct interpretation of yourself. It makes you realize that you're a sinner. It makes you realize that you need him more. It's when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we say, well, I don't really need him. But when you have an encounter with Jesus, you get to say what Paul said, I am the least of the apostles. I am not worthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church. You see here, Paul didn't think of himself as a, something great. I'm just the least. First he said, I was last. And now he said, I am least. <laughs> you know, in our culture today, we want to say I'm first and I'm greatest. No, Paul said, I, I was the last. And I am the least. And I'm also unworthy to even be called an apostle. But God makes me worthy to His Son Jesus to serve Him. Because I hated the church, because I persecuted the church, because I neglected the church of God. In Ephesians 3a, he also calls himself the least of all the apostles or the least of all the saints. He says that, right? 
Because he's recognizing his own sinfulness. What does this teach us? The humility of Paul. That when you look at Jesus, when you see Jesus, you know what you also see? You see also how stubborn we are. You also see how prideful we are. You also see how sinful we are. We also see how rebellious we are when you look at Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you have this type of encounter with Him. You say, I'm unworthy, Lord. I am unworthy, Lord. I am just the least. I am just the last. I, I, am, I, I am, by Your grace, I'm doing what I'm doing. Do you understand that, that if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would not be here? You know, sometimes we bank so much on the accomplishment, on the, uh, on the gift, instead of on the grace. And today, I don't want you to live on the gift. I don't want you to leave that way. Thinking so much on the gifts that God has given you, but on the grace that He has given you. Because if it weren't for the grace, the gifts would not matter. If it weren't for the grace, what, what would the gifts mean? They really wouldn't mean anything. It is the grace of God that leads you to serve Him. And in verse 10, He tells us this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It is by the grace of God. It's not my gift, it's the grace of God. It is by the grace of God that I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. Now I want you to underline that His grace toward me was not in vain. First of all, by the grace of God I am what I am. It is by the, I find my identity, not in my weakness. I find my identity, not in what the world says. I find my identity in the grace of God. It's not on how successful I am. It's not by, by this age, I should be in this different stage of life. My identity is on the grace of God, Paul is saying. And so is yours. It's not on the, you're not measured by the world's standards. You're measured by the grace of God. Isn't that amazing? Today, Lord, I'm not measured on the world's standards. I'm not measured on how much money I make. I'm not measured on my accomplishments. We're not measured on success. We're measured by the grace of God because that's what makes us a child of God. Now he's saying this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. You know why he says that? Because he wants to make a point. He wants to make a point. What's the point he's making? His grace toward me was not in vain. His grace toward me was not misused. His grace toward me was not unappreciated. His grace toward me was not abused. His grace toward me was not overlooked. His grace did not come without results in my life. It was not in vain. It was, without, it was with fruit. It was with response. Is the grace of God in your life in vain? How do you say, well, how does it look like in vain? In vain would mean that the grace of God has been so good to you, and despite that, you choose not to respond to that grace. Well, I'm going through the motions. I may be testing the grace of God. I may be now uh, trying to now see how much the grace of God would be visible in my life, but there never is really any fruit. In the grace of, to the grace of God. Now he's saying here, the grace of God in my life was never in vain. Why was it in never in vain? Because he responded. It, it, it was with a response. It was with a result. You see, he wasn't confident in himself. He was confident in the grace of God. What would happen if today we would say, you know what, my confidence is not in what people say about me. My confidence is not in if they approve of me. My confidence is in the grace of God. Because I know that His grace approves of me. It validates me. It gives me a new identity in the Son Jesus before the Father and in heaven. 
Now what he's telling us in verse 10, the New Living Translation reads it this way, but whatever I am now, it's because God poured out His special favor on me. It's not because of our hard work. It's not because people like us. It's because of the grace of God. And, not, and it says here, and His special favor on me was not without results. What kind of results, what kind of fruit, what kind of works from your faith are based off the grace of God? Or is this grace just in vain? I love what in Romans, what does he tell? Paul says, should we sin that grace would abound? Certainly not. In fact, grace should lead us to now use our gifts for the Lord. Don't let His grace be in your life in vain. That it doesn't mean anything to you. Because to Paul, the grace of God meant so much to him. His grace meant so much to him that he was willing to change his character to be more like Jesus. That God's grace was working him to change his character. God's grace was working in him to change his personality, to be more like Christ. God's work was in grace was living in Paul so that he can be more like the image of Jesus. And a recognition of his sin that he has just told us now involves an entire revolution of his character and of his habits. The grace of God should never be in vain. It should never be in vain. He tells us why it was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly. I worked hard. I worked harder than all these guys. He's saying, than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. See, he felt the grace of God so heavy in his life that he's saying, I'm going to respond. And I labored abundantly, more abundantly than everyone else. <laughs> now, is he really saying that he's working harder? He, he did more than others? Yes, he is. He's saying that. But why did he do that? Because he appreciated the grace of God. You think about someone, when, when you, I've seen people that, that, that God has radically changed their life from, from night and day, from being addicted, from being, uh, you know, having these, these, these habits that, 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 that were in bondage to, and God finally set them free. You know what they do? They do an entire 360, and they redirect all their energy into serving God. With the same energy that they did to serve themselves, to serve the flesh, to serve sin, now they're using that energy. Well, Paul is saying, I'm using all my energy to serve God. It is not in vain. I am working. I am laboring hard. I'm living my life for God. Why? Because His grace is not in vain. When His grace is not in vain, you want to respond to that grace. And I labored abundantly. Why? Because the gospel got a hold of His life. It's not about if, you know what, I received the gospel. It has the gospel got a hold of your life so that you respond this way. I labored abundantly for God. I worked hard for the Lord. I served for the Lord. I was exhausted for the Lord. I, I, I sacrificed for the Lord because the gospel of God got a hold of His life. You see, it is time for the gospel of God to get a hold of His life, our life, so that we redirect our energy to Him. When the gospel of God gets a hold of your life, you don't care about time, you don't care about sacrifice, you don't care about resources. The grace of God is so visibly working in your life that you want to labor abundantly for Him. That's why he says this, I'm going from living in the sidelines, I'm going from persecuting the church to labor abundantly for God. And that's why he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live unto the Lord. You know, it's so important that we live that life unto the Lord and not for ourselves. He ends now in verse 11 as we conclude. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now, he doesn't make it about himself. He didn't say, you know what, it's because of 
what I preach. Whether it's those over there, Paul's saying, or whether it's I that preach, it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. And what is the message? It's the gospel. That is what's most important. That is what's most important. That's most rewarding. And I'll tell you this as we conclude today, that the resurrection is so important, but Jesus did not. And I want you to pay attention to this last part, please. Jesus did not rise from the dead so that you can live a lukewarm life. Jesus did not rise from the dead so that me and you can live a lukewarm life. That is the grace of God in vain. Jesus died and rose again to change your life today. That's why in Romans 6, 4 it says, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism unto death. When you want to go, when you get baptized, if you already have or you will, you're, you're going in there and you're being washed completely, right? And you're saying, you know what? My sins have been washed away. I'm doing this publicly now. Something that happened inwardly. And I'm publicly declaring that I died. That old person died. That new person that's coming out is a new life. Jesus did not rise from the dead so you can still live in your sin. Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that we can compromise every day. Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that we can live a lukewarm life. Jesus did not rise from the dead so that we can now take His grace in vain. Jesus rose from the dead so you can live in the power of the resurrection and that you can live in victory. So that you can walk in newness of life. That's why He rose from the dead. So that you can walk in a new life. He didn't rise from the dead so that you can walk in the old life. He rose from the dead so that you can walk in the new life. In Ephesians 2, 5, it says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and He raised you up. He raised you up together and made you sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, Colossians 3, 1. If then He raised you up. The resurrection matters. He raised you up. He raised you up with Christ. You have an internal perspective because of the resurrection. Because of that, you don't live in compromise. You don't live in lukewarm. You live according to the Word of God. He raised you up. Now seek the things that are above. It's sad. When we say we live for the Bible, we live for the resurrection, but we seek the things of this world. That's not why Jesus rose from the dead, so you can seek the things of this world. Jesus rose from the dead so that you can seek the things above. Jesus did not rise from the dead so that you can have a good time. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead so that you can live in fellowship with Him. Jesus rose from the dead so that He can change your life. So that He can break habits. So that He can set you free from, from addictions. So that He can fix your household. Jesus rose from the dead so that He can forgive you of sins. And so that you would have hope for tomorrow. That you would one day see Him face to face and stand there before Him and stand there forgiven. That's why He rose from the dead. He didn't rise from the dead so that you can be comfortable. He rose from the dead so that you can live victoriously sanctified because of the Son. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord Jesus, because You rose from the dead, Lord. But you did not rise from the dead so that we can live in our sin. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that's still living in sin, that they would break that sin off completely once and for all. You didn't rise from the dead so that we can live in compromise. So that we can live lukewarm. You rose from the dead so that we can say no to sin and yes 
now to God. I pray, Lord, if any of us here are struggling with anything, Lord, that we would completely give it up to you, fully give it up to you, Lord. That we would seek you, Jesus. And know that we can run to you because of the gospel. That we can run to you, Jesus. But the resurrection raised us up with Christ. There is a new standard to living. And I pray that we would get that. So that the grace of God is not in vain. There is a new standard because you rose from the dead. Because you raised us up. Because we should seek things that are above, Lord. Because you seated us in heavenly places, Lord. Because you gave us a promise for eternal life. Lord, because of that, we ask so that we would be given over complete to you, Lord. You did not rise from the dead so that we can live one foot in the world and one foot in the church as your body. You rose, Lord, so that we would labor abundantly for you, God. That we would respond to your grace. I pray, Lord, that it would not be in vain. 